Hello, Marlins fans, and welcome to another spring training episode of Swings and Mishes. I am your producer, Jeremy Taché, joined by Craig Mish, who I've actually gotten to finally see quite a lot of in person. You know, we do so much of this podcast, but we don't actually get to see each other so much and gotten a chance to to kind of hang out over at spring training, and we will continue to do so as the games are starting up this weekend on Saturday first game against the St. Louis Cardinals at Roger Dean Stadium. So I guess sort of a, a home game for both teams in some ways. Um, but Craig, what, do you, what are you looking for as we're heading into spring training here as, as the Marlins are getting things started on the field for games? You know, they've been practicing now for about a week. Yeah, if people want to find me, this is where you can find me this <laughs> time of the year. Like, this is why you'll see me because even, even unlike the regular season games, and, and I would say out of 81 home games, I don't know. I probably go to half. I, I think that's about fair. Maybe maybe some more, maybe less, depending on the season. But with spring training, I am there every day. Yeah, I, I, am, I am there a lot because I feel like there's a lot to learn this time of the year. And it's time to understand who the players are on each team and developing relationships, both not just with the Marlins, but with the other teams as well. So this is a very important time for me. And it's not really a time that I look at the results as opposed to just look at how players are being developed and how they're being used and what the lineups are and, and how pitchers are throwing and who's hurt and who's not. And so it's, it's a very crucial time for me and out of, you know, between February and to the end of March, I don't know that I'm there every day, but I'm certainly there, you know, a lot. I mean, percentages, I don't know, 75% mm-hmm. of spring training. I'm there a lot. Yeah. I really enjoy it. And it's something that I recommend to a lot of people as well, even though they don't necessarily have maybe the access that I have. But it still does give you a face-to-face opportunity that you wouldn't normally get of going on a backfield somewhere and, and understanding who players are and, and what they could contribute. So high recommendation for me always has been on spring training. I'll be there Saturday. And then I, I just kind of, I'm like stealth. I just kind of go in and out to, to camps. <laughs> it's like if, if I have the pass, I go in sometimes when I can, when I don't. Mm-hmm. So it's always TBD. And I do some interviews, not just for this, but for Sirius XM also. So I, I think that it'll be interesting to see again, some of the young players. I think that for me, Victor, Victor Mesa is really the big key because I just haven't seen nearly enough of him to make any kind of judgment and to see him get into some big league spring training games is obviously going to be important. And then some of the players who I think that we'll see in June and Harrison and Diaz and and some of these kids who got a little bit of a cup of coffee last year in spring training, they're going to be on the big field and they're going to be facing off against really good teams. Just consider who they play their most games against Houston Astros, St. Louis Cardinals, Washington Nationals, and New York Mets. So they're going to see a lot of those teams. And then for the first time uh, in a long time this year, we're going to get to see the Philadelphia Phillies come south in spring training. They're going to make visits both to Palm Beach and Jupiter. I don't, I don't recall as long as I've covered spring training, the Phillies coming here. So that's interesting just to see a new uniform on the field there. Right. We get to see the Red Sox once. They'll play the Nationals in Palm Beach, so I'll be at that game. We get to see the Yankees a couple times too. They do make the trip from Tampa. So uh, we get all, not just the Marlins, but a chance to see all of just about all the teams in Grapefruit League action, the Braves as well. And the Marlins definitely w- could use some competition early. What do I expect? I expect the Marlins probably to have the best record in the Grapefruit League by the time that this mm-hmm. is all said and done. I do. Because this is a very competitive ownership, and it's very important for them to succeed. 
And I think that at least in a short sample of spring training games, I think that you'll see them put a very competitive product on the field. And I think they're going to win a lot of games. Yeah, I think the team is going to gain a lot of experience, especially those young guys you just mentioned. It will be interesting to see guys like Harrison and Diaz and Victor Victor Mesa facing off against really good pitching as well. You know, you named all of those teams. Part of the reason those teams are so good is because they have such great frontline starters. So if some of those younger players do get a chance to face against those types of pitchers, it will be interesting to see the result. And, you know, obviously the record doesn't matter in the spring in spring training, but it's all about the production of some of those younger guys. And obviously there are some positional battles that are going to happen here as well that, I know, you know, we've talked quite a bit on here how September and spring training are not really places to gauge statistics. So it's kind of breaking down how guys are facing, you know, having having plate discipline and and approach up at the bat, you know, talking about guys like Peter O'Brien and and Garrett Cooper uh, as they battle for, I guess, right field and first base and and who knows where their playing time comes in. but O'Brien specifically was spoken about by Mike Hill uh, at his press conference, actually, you know, saying that they do need some power in the lineup. I'm also very intrigued to see how Jorge Alfaro looks coming out the gate. Um, obviously, he he finished off the season with the Phillies last year, and, you know, he everybody is obsessed with him. I mean, they <laughs> the management, Don Mattingly, everybody is, is, is loving what they're seeing from Jorge Alfaro. So it will be interesting to see uh, how he does at the major league level here in spring training. Uh, are there any specific battles or players you're looking at as we go into spring training, or is this more just an overall group thing that you're looking forward to? Besides, obviously, those guys you mentioned that are going to come up in June. I'm talking more at the specifically at the major league level. Yeah, I, I think that probably they go into spring saying that there's an open competition, but really they know more or less 20 of the 25 guys, I think, that are going to break camp. And I think that you can pencil in most of those guys. Um, you know, there's a couple of things that, that I would say that, that I'm curious about and just things that I've learned because naturally if I'm going to be critical about something, I want to do my homework and I want to do my research on something to make sure that I understand what I'm saying. So there's two things that I think that we'll learn this spring training. I I don't think anything that you see offensively from the Marlins is really going to mean all that much because these guys are just going to see fastballs. And then when we get to the regular season, we can get a better indication as to who is what. And I do think, by the way, offensively, even though we don't know who's going to start necessarily everywhere, I think you know the pieces that are going to be on this team. The pitching is definitely the strong point of this team, but it's also the most curious because from a starting pitching rotation, I do think that there is a chance that there could be competition toward the end of spring training to see who ends up winning the fifth spot. And then the loser of that is going to have to go to AAA. Right. So there will have to be some judgment inevitably, but I don't think that will come at least, Jeremy, for a month from now. So we're talking about getting through this week, next week, the week after that, and then Pablo Lopez and Garrett Richards and Wei-Yin Chen and Nider. Those guys are going to have to all battle out for like one spot or two, and the other guy is not necessarily the loser in the competition. He's just going to have to go to AAA because there's just nowhere else to go. But the other thing that I would mention, and we'll talk to Adam Conley coming up here in a minute, is that, again, I am my concern is the bullpen for the Marlins because I don't advocate them spending a lot of money, but I do advocate wanting to leave a game uh, in three hours. And if they're down 3-1 in the seventh or eighth inning, are they bringing in someone who's going to give up five runs and I'm going to be stuck there for another hour? And that's not something that I want to see. That's no indictment of the Marlins. Their offense is not going to be great. 
So at least keep the games competitive from a pitching perspective. Don't put these guys in like you had last year with Tozawa. No disrespect to him. No disrespect to, uh, to Meyer, who came in last year also and, and didn't get a lot of outs, didn't pitch well, hopefully has a better year. But those were guys last year that struggled when they were forced to be put in that situation. And, of course, Barraclaw and some of the others too. But here's what I'm told. A couple of guys. And, you know, when I am yelling and screaming, you guys need to sign someone, here's what they've told me. <laughs> they've told me that Nick Anderson is a guy that they like a lot. So I don't know a lot about him. I've seen his numbers. They're confident in him. They acquired him for a reason. And if I had to guess, barring something unforeseen, he will be part of this bullpen mix on opening day. They, they like him a lot. I keep hearing his name a lot. So he's a name that I've circled that I'm going to have to watch in spring training and see what they see that I don't see. And again, maybe, maybe fine. I don't know. But that's a name that they like a lot. Uh, another name that they like a lot is Quijada, the left-handed pitcher who they've had. Another name to circle who I think is going to be on the 25-man roster because if I keep hearing this guy's name, it means they must like him a lot. And then the third name that I think is a little bit more iffy but I do think has a really good shot to be in the bullpen amongst the other names that you know. And let's be clear, the names that you know are Romo, Steckenrider, Conley, and Guerrero. I think beyond that, you still have four or five spots for other guys. Right. Uh, Austin Bryce, who is now back with the Marlins after being mm -hmm. traded to the Reds, uh, from what I was told, not only did they claim Bryce this past time when he was released by the Orioles, they, they tried to uh, they tried to claim him even before the Orioles claimed him the last time. So that was something that I didn't know. They had so much interest in bringing him back. When he was waived, I believe, by the Angels in November, the Marlins claimed him. They didn't get him. And I was told the Orioles did, of course, because they had the worst record in baseball. Right. Then the Orioles let him go, and the Marlins claimed him again. So this isn't just about the previous regime having him. It's about them really liking Austin Bryce. So... He's another name, Jeremy, that I think is going to be in the bullpen. So I gave you the four names that I think I know, three right. names that I'm, I can almost guarantee because if they're telling me over and over again that these guys are <laughs> going to be good, they're going to be there. That's seven. And so we need, need to uh, piece together a couple of other names. And so I know it's not sexy and it's not fun to talk about bullpen guys, but again, being at a ballpark in the eighth inning and having a, a close game and being blown up because of the bullpen is not something that anybody should have to endure. The Marlins have put their, their stake in these guys that they've acquired in the offseason and decided not to spend money that they do have because they have the money. They let Tazawa go. Ziegler retired. Volquez is gone. Mm -hmm. They got some dough to spend if they wanted to by getting another couple vets. They want to develop the young guys. If that is right, fine. I'll be the one to say it, but that's kind of where I'm at with the bullpen at this point. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the way they handle the pitching staff in general because, you know, c questions were brought up when Romo came in of, you know, will you go with an opener? To which Mattingly basically said, I'll right. do anything to help the team win, which was his great way of not answering the question. We got a couple of conversations coming up uh, here, one with Adam Conley, and, and I'm just wondering if you'd like to preview those uh, so the Swings and Mishes fans listening can know what they're about to get into uh, as we wrap this up. Yeah, Adam Conley, always a very interesting conversation with him. He takes pitching very seriously. He's now one of the veterans on this team, but as he'll say in the interview, he's not a veteran to the bullpen. This is really his first full year out of the bullpen going into the season knowing he's not going to be a starter. So pretty candid and honest conversation from him. I wanted to ask you kind of entering camp this year, it's always a different feel for you. 
this uh, this kind of camp, you're coming in, you know where your role is in terms of being a bullpen guy. And so what is your approach going into spring training? This year is special for me because it's my first year in spring training ever as a reliever. There's been times where I've there's been times where I've pitched out of the bullpen, sometimes in spring training or sometimes in in the regular season. But this is the first time uh, going into it that the preparation has been for basically for the long haul to be pitching out of the bullpen. So I'm as far as that side of it goes, I'm learning that as I go. Um, but the good thing for me is, is that this transition's been good for uh, really just uh, my my body seems to respond well to that type of workload. So. Uh, as far as keeping my weight up, keeping my strength up, and being able to really fine-tune mechanically what it is I want to do, this has been a role that's been helpful uh, for me to improve in those areas and, and keep on improving. It's interesting because you obviously came up as a starter and you had so much success last year as a reliever and even the year before. When you kind of project yourself out, you think back five, six years ago, did you think that this would maybe be some sort of end game for you over the course of your career? When I first signed, I was told ultimately I would be a reliever when I was when I was pitching in the big leagues um, for us. So that was kind of coming from there. And I also got told back then that I was going to start until I failed. And so I think there was some some degree of it where um, I think that there was an edge on my part to prove people wrong and continue to be successful being a starter. I believe that I could have been a workhorse as a starter and done the thing that was the, the things that were necessary ultimately. Um, and now, as I was saying before, that I've transitioned to this, I look back on the experience that I gained as a starter, those innings that I threw, um, having to go through a lineup two or three times, especially on those days where my stuff wasn't especially good, uh, gave me a lot of invaluable uh, you know, experience um, as far as pitching at this level. Uh, as a reliever, being able to fine-tune those things and obviously mechanically getting older, more mature, and knowing myself better, and have been able to actually perform better physically um, a lot of that experience uh, I attribute to those time, that time that I was starting and I'm just thankful for it. One of the strange things when you were a starter and I think it kind of corrected itself maybe a little bit last year and the year before is you had some really wacky reverse splits where you had it was really easy for you to get righties out less easy to get lefties out it's kind of corrected itself I think a little bit but why do you think that that was back in the day it was hard to project? Uh, the breaking ball you know, um, I think that the look that my the, the look of the slider that I did throw um, seemed to be more effective uh, at, to righties after I had thrown fastballs into them. What we found when we looked at the data was is that the slider that I was throwing before was actually, uh, for all intent and purposes, was basically just going in a perfectly straight line. So my fastball and my changeup have uh, very very similar movement. They're just at different velocities. Um, so when I pitch to righties and I pitch into them, I think that my slider, even for a ball, looks much more like my fastball in there. Uh, to a lefty because the ball didn't actually go, it didn't actually break to the right. Um, for me to get that ball in the corner or for me to even try and sweep that ball away from lefties uh, really had to be a ball out of my hand. If it was a strike out of the hand, it stayed a strike because it was straight, and then, and then that was a dangerous pitch for me. Uh, basically, my, my fastball and my changeup running in under their hands where the slider would kind of more or less just stay, stay straight and kind of run into that fatter part of the barrel kind of out over the plate. So um, I think that I think without having the breaking ball, um, the, the good left-handed hitters were able to really just make the plate smaller on me. Uh, I really kind of became a guy who could really pitch to one side of the plate against lefties. So the angles, uh, the velo at times um, could sometimes be tough on left-handed hitters, but I didn't really have the, I don't think really as much of a mix. Um, when you've got good left-handed hitters in the lineup every day, if you're facing the Charlie Blackmans of the world and the Bryce Harpers of the world, um, as soon as those hitters can start to eliminate some of those things off you, those at-bats get a lot tougher, uh, even when you've got good stuff. So um, that's been a big thing for us, really, is 
um, is mechanically and, and, and understanding uh, how a breaking ball is actually thrown and really trying to basically rewire my arm to be able to get into that position to throw that ball. Um, and we've had, so far, we're really excited about the progress that I've made. Um, and so uh, I think that we're going to start seeing results in, uh, of that labor and of that work of trying to really figure out what that is. Um, I think that just pitching better in general and in the role that I've been in has allowed me in short stints in one time at bats to be successful against lefties, really even without the breaking ball this past year. I intend on having a better breaking ball now and, and hopefully uh, just continue to improve in every area, really. Right, but the results were much better last year. And not only that, but you go into this year where your manager, Don Mattingly, unlike years in the past, of not only with him managing the Marlins, but managing the Dodgers, too, he's always gone to one guy in the ninth inning. It's very clear this year that the opportunity is there, not just for you, but for Sergio Roma, who you acquired, Drew Steckenrider. So is that a role that you're looking forward to filling wherever they put you in? And I know the ninth inning is kind of like a special thing, I guess, for a lot of pitchers, too, if you wouldn't mind expanding on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I truly I view my career as a professional outgetter. You know, so if that means that I was a starter or I was the uh, a long guy or I was the closer, if you wanted to give that title or, or whatever, um, really, uh, I guess just fundamentally what I'm trying to do when I throw is throw the ball as perfect as I can, knowing that the results 60 feet away are going to be good, uh, or at least within my control, going to be the best opportunity that I have for success. So um, really at this point in my career, at this point in my life, uh, as I grow older, as I think about what motivates me to play these games and everything, I really think it's the pursuit of throwing the ball perfect. Um, at this point and so um, I think that in a lot of ways can take an edge off of any type of pressure or expectation of what it is that I of who I am or what it is that I'm supposed to be doing um, my pursuit is much more it seems six inches in front of my face and much more nose to the grindstone um, and much more about what it is that I can provide for this team to be successful uh, at the end of the day um, many of the results in this game are out of my control uh, there's always in every in every guy in this room a competitive side to us that without it you wouldn't you can't make it this far um, but I think what really has been making me tick uh, the last year or so has just been that pursuit to really throw the ball the best possible way that Adam Conley throws a baseball. Um, and we've seen that as I've improved and as I've done that better, we've had a lot more success. So whatever it is that Don Mattingly feels is the most uh, beneficial to this team as far as winning games and everything, then I'm all for it because ultimately my priority is to throw the ball perfect and go out and help us win games and, you know, and, and not to be the closer or to be in those things. So um, really at the end of the day, it takes a lot of pressure off me as far as success or failure in this game, the money and all the things that can get involved with this game. Um, really those things are insignificant to me. Um, I really am just trying to focus on the work that I can do um, and take pride in doing that and then be able to rest at night knowing that I did what I could uh, to be the best version of myself possible. Sure. On the outside looking in, we all do look at saves, though. It still is. It has been. It's not as important as it used to be. I know that whenever they bring in to get the most important outs, I know is, is important. Uh, the last thing for you is uh, familiarity for, I think, on the outside looking in with a lot of the new names that are in this bullpen. Uh, last year, you guys started off the season with Brad Ziegler, Tazawa, um, Kyle Barraclaw. There's a lot of new names here. I don't know how familiar you've been able to get just in your pens or, or seeing the guys around, but to me that's a, a little bit of I've made a point of concern. I'm just not sure who is there. So being that you actually are like the veteran here in this bullpen, what what have you seen? What can we expect maybe from some of the other guys? Well, first, let me say to your last uh, statement, I'd love to say 50 games. Okay, so don't so don't don't misunderstand me that uh, that I think those things are awesome, um, and I think that's those are great accomplishments when you can achieve those types of things in the game. As far as the bullpen that we've got, um, I feel like I'm kind of running along with these guys, being new to the pen. I threw about uh, 50 something innings out of the pen full time last year. I threw uh, maybe just a handful of times out of the bullpen um, before that. 
like, as I said before, had always been told that the, the, the goal for me, the, the projection for me, all those things was to be as a starter. Um, so a lot of that's changed for me. The, the names that you mentioned, some of the, you know, Bearclaw, Steckenrider, who's been in the pen uh, as a professional his whole career. Um, those are the types of guys that, honestly, I'm, I'm trying to pick their brain. I'm trying to figure out from those guys how it is that they go about their business. You know, the Nick, Nick Wittgren last year, um, just guys who had been uh, relievers for over the years, you know, asking those guys, how do you lift? You know, when do you lift? You know, when, what seems to work for you on your flat ground days? And when do you get on the mound? And how many days have to go by before you feel like you got to get back on the mound? And, and ultimately, I have, to be, I have to have my own signature on that, and I'll, I'll do it my own way. But just trying to glean from these guys the experience that they have. Uh, Ziegler was another guy who was my throwing partner, you know, um, for most of that year until he got traded there in the middle. So, um, you know, I, I feel very confident, very excited about the work that I'm doing as far as an individual goes from a team standpoint and from a preparation standpoint. I mean, I'm, I'm truly I'm leaning on guys like Dean Trainer and, and Stotts now that he's here and some of these other guys who had been in the pen uh, and really just feel uh, uh, you know, really, I guess, just joyful to be running, feeling like I'm running alongside these guys. I know that. Um, a lot's changed, and, and me and me and two or three other guys, you know, have been in the Marlins organization through a lot of it, and have been here for a long time. Um, but the exciting thing for me is, is that this year feels new to me. This year doesn't it doesn't feel stagnant or unfamiliar, you know, uh, you know, too familiar or too commonplace. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited about what I'm doing and doing it with this group of guys and learning from them and and hopefully having something uh, that they can they can pick up from me and learn from me. And of course, with March Madness getting underway in a month from now, it's a great time to get involved in the NCAA tournament and the NBA by going over to betdsi.com and using promo code SWINGS101. Your first deposit will be matched up to $2,500. Look, in this country now, as you know, everybody's betting on sports. And the tournament is probably the most fun thing to bet on. It's less than a month away. But right now you have the NBA going on. Of course, the American Alliance of Football is going on too. BetDSI.com has lines and spreads on all of those games as well. Don't forget to use promo code SWINGS101 when you sign up. Autographs are a really popular thing. If you guys haven't heard, everyone's collecting them. Everyone is chasing them. And spring training is a great time to do it. But what do you do once you have the autograph or your son or your daughter gets the autograph? What do you do with it? How do you save it? How do you preserve it? Well, Jimmy Spence is going to join us here on Swings and Mishes and tell you exactly what to do. And it always is an interesting conversation, I think, to talk about fans and to talk about autographs and to talk about what to do with them once you get them. Because as a lot of Marlins fans know, wow, like this is an opportunity of a lifetime to go to spring training this year, not only to meet a lot of these young kids, but you have Don Mattingly in camp. He's the manager. You have Jorge Posada. He's a special advisor. You have Derek Jeter. He is the owner. And, uh, and not just those guys, but of course, everywhere in Florida, it's a great time to take your kids, run around, uh, meet some players, take some selfies, get some autographs. And I've known Jimmy Spence for 20 years. And uh, my, I, as a young kid, had a tremendous autograph collection and have visited with him many times to kind of go over what I have and what it's worth and help me you know, decide what to put on the wall, what to put away. And I think that this will be a good conversation for a lot of people also to learn. And, of course, he uh, manages the office and is a director in South Florida. They have an office in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, SpenceLOA.com is the website that you can go to to learn how you can get your autographs authenticated and proven to be real. And Jimmy's with us now here on Swings and Mishes. Jimmy, good morning. Thank you for doing this. Good morning, Craig. Thanks for having me. 
it, it is my pleasure. And uh, I mean, I can't believe it's been so long since we've known each other. I get to see you every year. You're, you're right at Marlins Fan Fest, helping fans out, getting their autographs authenticated. And I, and I guess from your perspective, is this like the hottest time of the year for fans and for autograph collectors? Because baseball always seems to be the original autograph collector. Like that's kind of where it started many, many years ago. And I know football's really taken on a life of its own, but I feel like spring training because the players are more available is like the hot time. Is that what you kind of see also? Yes. Yeah. Baseball uh, during spring training is where most of the autographs are signed throughout the year. So this is, you know, February, March, more autographs are being signed right now at any sports venue um, for the rest of the year. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. Um, I think, you know, the reason why baseball is just so accessible and it, it's, it has a lot to do with, you know, you're able to see um, the athlete, you know, without his helmet, without the helmet off. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that definitely uh, makes it a lot easier to identify, you know, the, anybody on the roster, get their autograph, uh, whether you're working on a team ball or a single sign baseball and trying to collect, you know, every, every player, um, you're able to identify them a lot easier than other sports. And what Jimmy also does is authenticates the items. And so for people who don't understand what that means is that if you have a collection of a Mickey Mantle or a Joe DiMaggio or a Hank Aaron or, or any player that's played in any sport, uh, Jimmy understands what those autographs are and can tell you whether or not they're real or not. He and his, his family have been in business doing this for, I believe, it's, has it been 30 or 40 years doing this? How long have you been at this? Well, my, father's, my father launched autograph authentication back in 1999. There was no such thing as, you know, you, you're bringing your autograph to an authenticator and trying to figure out, well, is, is, was this the wife that signed this? Or, you know, was this, uh, is this an auto pen? Or is this some kind of secretarial signature? Because you know, a lot of the times... Uh, people would obtain autographs through the mail. So they would have absolutely no idea if, you know, the item that they received back was real. And sometimes, you know, certain athletes would surprise you. For instance, Roger Maris would sign, routinely sign his mail until the time of his death in 1985. Mm. Yeah, not one that I have, unfortunately. (laughs) Nothing in my collection. My dad did that a lot. And so, as you know, I brought those to you to tell me what is real, what is not. And unfortunately, a lot of the stuff was signed secretarial, but I was able to and still do have some of that stuff framed. And he's uh, given me all that, including uh, you guys authenticated Jackie Robinson for me many, many years ago. So, Jimmy, what would you recommend for people who are doing this in spring training? Because I think that what happens, I think, for most novice people, and it's understandable, because with my son, when I do this, and he's got his book of cards that he does and then after it's done we put him into a folder and he opens it up and he likes to look at them but I think a lot of people they go to spring training and they'll get a a Derek Jeter or they'll go on the Cardinals side and they'll get a Paul Goldschmidt and then they just kind of throw it in the back of the car and forget about it and then they want to look at it a year later and the sun got to it and it's all done so it's like what do you do with these things to make sure that in 20 years from now Uh, they could visit you, get it authenticated. And then, you know, where does it go? You know, what do you do with it to make sure it's safe? Yeah. Preserving your autographs are are definitely um, a must. If you want to keep the value of that autograph, for instance, if you were to get a Derek Jeter um, for one, make sure you invest in the right pen. Um, A big, a big ballpoint seems to be the best pen out on the market. And as, as cheap as it is, 
you know that the that that ink lasts as long as is you know as, as a very expensive pen that you can buy so yeah definitely invest in the right pen um aesthetically speaking blue looks very good on baseballs in comparison to black um we've just known that as just a hobby favorite uh, blue signatures tend tend to sell for more than something signed in black ink um if you're you know if you're if you're trying to get somebody like Derek Jeter or Jorge Posada um try and get your hold try and get a hold of a, a Rawlings official uh, Major League Baseball um, and not a, a cheaper ball that you would buy at Walmart, like an official league ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as preserving them, you said it, Craig, you got to keep it out of sunlight. Sunlight will only deteriorate your autographs. And I know a lot of collectors like to display their, their autographs in their man caves and uh, you know, have them prominently displayed. But it, it, invest in uh, some kind of film that goes over a, a window if, if, that's, you know, if it's being exposed to sunlight. Um, always close your blinds, you know, if you're, if you're out, um, and, uh, definitely keep, keep your autographs out of, uh, uh, in a controlled, uh, environment, uh, away from moisture, uh, moisture definitely affects, uh, signatures and the paper it's on, or even the baseballs I've seen. Yeah, it's, it's really good advice, Jimmy. And, you know, the other good advice is, and, and I understand that there's people that do this uh, for a living. They do this as their business and we see them all the time as autograph collectors and you know honestly like they they get made fun of i i just don't have a huge problem with it if somebody's willing to sign an autograph i could care less what anybody's doing with it but the reality is and here is kind of where the dicey part jumps in is that uh you know some collectors what they do is they'll literally set up shop at some of these spring training areas and sell their stuff like right away to you and sometimes that can work to your benefit because if you don't get the autograph, you can get it. But if you haven't seen this person get the autograph, that's when the questions start to come in. And there are going to be collectors all over Florida and Arizona over the next month seeing some of the legends of the game. Ricky Henderson, sometimes Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, we're talking about the best players ever play. Hank Aaron is sometimes at Braves camp too. And so without your trained eye, how, how are you supposed to believe that anything that somebody's offering you is real? Pay with a credit card. <laughs> Hopefully they have uh, a little swiper there for you so you can issue a chargeback. Now, I, I would, uh, you know, you, you'll routinely see the same, same chasers um, on the field getting autographs. And then, like you said, you know, they, this is a business for them. So they'll try and sell them or they'll try to trade them with, you know, an, uh, another chaser. Um, but, you know, as, as I said in the beginning of our conversation, more autographs are signed during this period of time. Well, there's also more forgeries being created during this time. And uh, they're very sophisticated. These forgers get better and better every year. Um, Craig, I, I've shown you a few Derek Jeter examples yeah. where, mm-hmm. you know, we've deemed these autographs forgeries and they're incredible. I mean, they, they're, they're artists. Um, some, sometimes we can pick who that artist is. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a clouded area. But um, my suggestion would be to, uh, you know, become friends with some of the, uh, the, the local chasers, guys that have been doing it for a long period of time. And ask them questions and say, you know, I'm, I'm about to trade with this guy. He's got a Derek Jeter ball and I've got a, a Jorge Posada bat. I just want to make sure that, you know, he, he's got a good reputation out here. Um, they'll be able to tell you uh, who, you know, who to avoid and who you can totally trust. There's a lot of good people in this industry. And unfortunately, you know, within, within that grouping, there are a couple bad eggs and you know, everybody needs to help out each other. And um, we're never going to get rid of all the forgeries, but... Uh, it's our job to, you know, 
detect these new sophisticated forgeries from entering the market and, and being sold for the, the same value as, as the ones that we authenticate. Um, that's, it only brings the value of autographs down when yeah. there's a surplus of, of that certain autograph. Yeah, I remember a few years ago, and the Marlins changed the way that they had their gate. They used to have you know, people could walk up all the way almost to the security gate, and that's where Ichiro would set up shop. And then these people would come out of there with their Ichiro autographs, and I'd look at it and go, how could anybody tell that this is Ichiro? I mean, the guy just you know put lines up and down, and that's where you guys have to come into play and determine if those things are, are real or not. Uh, Jimmy, one last thing here, and, and then uh, we'll tell people how – they can get over to your office uh, in Fort Lauderdale sure. if they have any kind of memorabilia from the past, especially historical stuff. I know that that's one of your specialties is uh, I always love to hear your fun stories about something that somebody brought to you saying it was real, but it actually was fake and like kind of the fight that you have to have with this person because you're the expert and they're not. And then you have to like almost be you know, put the light over their face and be an investigator. Where did you get this? Are you sure? And then they're fighting you. No, it's, it's got to be real. It's got to be real. Like, I love those kind of stories. So if I, any recent ones or any good ones that you could share? Because I always love to hear those. Oh, there's so many. There's so many times. And um, we, we know how to handle ourselves in those situations. We, we study the stuff where uh, we even know the dating of certain helmets and baseballs when when these pieces were manufactured. So that gives us a lot of information before the person can tell us the provenance. Um, one instance I, rem I remember is a, um, a, a Joe Namath uh, signed full-size helmet that a gentleman brought into uh, one, of, one of the appearances down here. And he had told me that he got it signed in the early 90s. And the, the autograph was a complete mess. I mean, it, it failed our authentication miserably. And he went into this elaborate story on how he met Joe in, in Jupiter and how he went to his house and how he had like a cup of coffee with him. And, you know, I had done all the research on this thing before this guy was, was telling me this story. And he was very, very indignant about getting this thing in person. And I said, well, you know, you, you mentioned that you got this signed in, in the early 90s. Well, just looking in the helmet and, and a lot of the newer helmets have a date where when the when the uh, helmet was manufactured it's very easy to tell mm -hmm. uh, it's right on the strap and the helmet was manufactured in 2016 <laughs> so i quickly shut him down on that and um you know he went off to say it was uh, he must have got it confused with another helmet this and that so we always you know at, at times i shouldn't say always but we'll have people that come in trying to fool us because they know if they have JSA backing up their autograph, they can sell it for that maximum value. People trust our opinion. We've been in the been in this business for close to 15 years now. now I've, I've known you for over 20, Craig, and it's, yeah, it just, I know. It's been a long time. Yeah, so it's it's uh it's pretty interesting, and I've I've got plenty more stories for our next podcast. I do, I do, and listen, thank you so much for coming on. I know that I've used you guys and your dad for i mean i feels like 20 years here going on all my stuff and as a young collector uh, i just never knew what my stuff was worth and my dad never knew what his stuff was worth uh, with all the celebrities and and through the mail things that he did as well and now my son is carrying the torch here for spring training so it was uh, good to see you the other day at marlins fan fest and for people uh jimmy who are interested in your services spenceloa.com is the website is there anything else you want to tag on here to the end for people who want to uh authenticate their stuff 
Yeah, you can follow us on, on social media. It's at JSALOA. Uh, we post all of our upcoming events. We're throughout the country into Canada. Uh, we're we're going to take a trip over to uh, London soon. Um, but uh, yeah, Craig, I, I really appreciate you having us on. And um, you, any, any, uh, any questions, you guys are more than welcome to uh, communicate with us through, through email or social media. We're more than happy to answer. All right. Thanks again, Jimmy. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Craig.